This is Gene Therapy for Hemophilia, Dream or Reality, a show on behalf of the Canadian Hemophilia Society. Here's your host, David Page. Today's guest is Brian Omani, Chief Executive Officer of the Irish Hemophilia Society and a former president of the World Federation of Hemophilia and the European Hemophilia Consortium. But more importantly for today's discussion, Brian has experienced hemophilia gene therapy himself firsthand. Welcome, Brian. Thank you, David. So, Brian, you were part of a clinical trial in hemophilia B, is that correct? That's correct. That's correct. I was part of the whole B clinical trial. Brian, you, you've asked me not to focus on the actual factor level that uh, that you achieved following gene therapy in your particular case. Why, why is that? I have no problem uh, talking about that, David, but I think it's the, it's the wrong question to start with because people often ask me, okay, how, how did you get on with gene therapy? And the real question I should be asking is, why did you decide to take gene therapy? What were your decision drivers? Because, of course, I, I've had a good experience with gene therapy, but I, I had to be prepared for a range of potential experiences. And that's the key message is you can't talk to one person who's had gene therapy and say, okay, they've, they've had a good outcome. That's what I'm going to get. You've got to be prepared for a range of, of outcomes. So it's all about setting your expectations and managing expectations. And that, and that range could be from no expression whatsoever to, to a very high and perhaps too high level. In terms of setting expectations, we don't know how long the factor expression will last. We have no idea of durability. We don't know what your factor expression you will get. You might stay at less than 1%. You might get 5%. You might get 50%. You might get 100%. You might get 180%. You just don't know, and there's no way of predicting. You don't know if you'll be one of the, the percentage who don't get any response to gene therapy. You don't know if you'll need steroids short, you know, for short to medium term, although with, you've, you've got a fairly good idea from the results of the trials. And in terms of long-term safety, there is a theoretical risk from insertion and mutagenesis, and you don't know about that. So there are a range of things we still don't fully understand. And unlike any other therapy for hemophilia, if you're not getting the outcome you, you desire, then you can change the frequency, you can change the dose, you can change the product. With mimetic, you can, you can go back on a factor concentrate. With gene therapy, you get one injection, it goes into your liver, uh, and, and, you know, your liver responds to it in a particular way, and then you get the outcome you get, and you can't really predict that. There's no way of predicting beforehand who will get a good outcome, who won't get a good outcome. So if you go in saying, I absolutely have to get a good outcome, then it's the wrong attitude. You need to be prepared for the range of outcomes that could occur. So with all of these uncertainties, could you tell us some of your motivations in considering and then receiving gene therapy? I was involved in, in bringing the companies over to Ireland to, to, to talk about gene therapy clinical trials for the last 10 years. I've been following the science for many years. So I, I kept up to date with the science and the publications. And frankly, I was convinced by the science that the, the benefit-risk ratio to me was worthwhile. I also wanted the chance of having a significant factor nine expression, which would hopefully mean I could stop prophylaxis and also perhaps have less pain in my damaged joints. I wanted some freedom from mental freedom from dealing with my own hemophilia. Although given my job and my role, it's hard for me to get a hemophilia free mind because of course hemophilia consumes most of my day every day. But having said that, it'd be nice to be dealing with other people's hemophilia and not, not just my own. I wanted to lead. We'd been talking for several years about participating in clinical trials. I was interested in it. Nobody had taken that jump. So I thought, look, I'll jump. I was the first to get the clinical trial in Ireland. And also, I wanted to try life without severe hemophilia. Life is not a dress rehearsal. You get one go around. And I thought, you know what? I was born with severe hemophilia. I've always had severe hemophilia. It would be interesting to try some of my life without severe hemophilia. 
In another podcast in this series, Dr. Jerry Title talks about the shared decision-making process from a physician's perspective. Could you take us through the steps that you went through from your first interest to agreeing to receive the therapy? Well, I suppose my journey was slightly different because of my background with WHG, GHC and the Irish Society, and, and I've got some science background. So I had a lot of meetings and discussions with the pharmaceutical companies making the gene therapy. I looked at the data on an ongoing basis. I spoke to clinicians abroad who were friends and colleagues, and I got a range of opinions. When I decided to enroll in the clinical trial, of course, there's a significant pre-gene therapy lead-in phase of several months, which actually also gives you time to re-evaluate and think about your motivations uh, and re-evaluate that. And then I also discussed the logistics and the visits with the research team because you have to get ready for all of the fairly large series of visits after gene therapy. Now, having said that, that became much easier because of COVID because I got gene therapy about two weeks before the COVID pandemic. So suddenly all of this travel that I was trying to fit in in between my hospital visits disappeared. So in fact, in one sense, it was easier. So it it wasn't a normal shared decision-making journey for me. I didn't have to have a series of detailed discussions with the the investigator of the team. I'd been keeping up with this and, and organizing those meetings, in fact, for several years. Who was involved in that process, in your own personal process, before the final decision? I guess you're, you're treating physician. And what about your family? My treating physician, the research nurse, um, some of my colleagues uh, and, and friends abroad who are clinicians who had various views around gene therapy, uh, some people with hemophilia like yourself, David, whom I discussed this with. My family to some extent, but not to an enormous extent. My wife and kids can trust my judgment on this, and I explained it to them, but we didn't We didn't have long, detailed discussions on this because they they know that I'm very familiar with the, the therapeutic landscape and, and they fully supported my decision on this. What are some of the things people absolutely need to understand before embarking on this journey? You need to set and manage your expectations. You don't know how long it will last. You don't know what factor expression you will get. You don't know if you'll get any increase in factor expression. You don't know if you'll need to take steroids. And there's obviously some theoretical concerns around long-term safety. So you need to be prepared for a range of outcomes there. So if you go in thinking, I want at least... 15 years, I want a factor level of at least 50%, and I, I don't want to take steroids. If, if you don't get that outcome, that's a failure, then you're not ready for gene therapy. You need to be aware, okay, I'd like this factor expression, but this is I, I'm aware I could get this range. I'd like this durability, but I can't predict that, and be ready for steroids. So, for example, with steroids, for factor eight gene therapy, about 80% of the people on the trial had to take steroids for an average of seven months. So if you're going to factor eight gene therapy, I think you, you walk on the assumption that you're going to have to take steroids. With the factor nine gene therapy that's licensed, it was under 20% needed steroids for a shorter period of time. So you could probably think, I may have to take steroids, but it's less likely. But just need to be aware of the range of expressions that you get. And that's really important. So if you're hoping for, you know, 50%, and you get 5%, you're going to be disappointed, but you need to be able to say, okay, well, I knew this was a possibility, and I can, I'm, I'm okay with that. So you're trying to avoid buyer's remorse. I've heard you use that expression before. Absolutely, treatment remorse. You, you don't want to go back to the clinician. I don't want any of our members coming back to us in a couple of years' time saying, I wish you hadn't persuaded me to take gene therapy. We're not going to persuade anybody. We're not going to persuade or dissuade. We're going to try and make sure that everybody who's considering gene therapy takes a fully informed decision for them. People might imagine that the administration of gene therapy is an elaborate process. Can you describe that day? 
It's actually not an elaborate process. I was asked one question at a meeting abroad about how long did I have to stay in hospital and did, I, did they have to uh, replace all my white cells? It took three hours. It's a, it's a simple infusion. It's like getting a bag of plasma. You go in, obviously they take some bloods, there's a last minute check to make sure you want to go ahead with this and then you get the infusion. The infusion itself took about 80 minutes. It's it's about a litre of liquid, uh, a very easy process. Um, no, so I was, you know, I was quite relaxed. It was it was a very easy process. But having said that, when I looked around me, you know, you had the clinician, you had the research nurses, you had outside, you had the clinic director, you had the research director, you had a crash team ready to go. So there was a lot of people looking on because this was the first gene therapy they actually done in, in the hospital. A very easy process, but I must say when I went home that night, I was emotionally exhausted because I was aware this is a fairly momentous day. We, we've heard from, from guests in this podcast series about the importance of very close follow-up in the weeks and months following gene therapy. What was that like in your case? First year after gene therapy, I had to make 30 visits to the hospital. Now, you have to, you have to actually go in once a week for the first three months. I actually exceeded that. I went in twice a week to have an extra liver blood test done because I, I certainly didn't want to take any chance of missing a, a, an increase in liver enzymes. And I didn't think once a week was often enough. So I, I did this. I, I was fully aware of this. And so I was committed to it. I'd set aside the time. Uh, and in fact, because it was during the COVID pandemic, there was more of a concern about going into a hospital at that point in time. But they managed it very well in a non-clinical setting. Why is this frequent follow-up so important? Well, first of all, you need to know what your factor expression level is and how that's changing, and that can change. With the liver enzymes, you want to monitor the liver enzymes very carefully. You can't take the chance of missing an increase in liver enzymes, even for a couple of days, because that could lead to a loss of expression of the factor, and you can't get that back. You need to look at your ultrasound scans for your liver health, joint scores, and also to add to the knowledge about outcomes. And... Um, so really, it really is very, very important. But certainly the factor expression level and the liver enzymes, and both tests, by the way, which can be done in a local hospital. So I think it's now been three years, going on three years since, since your... Three, three, year, three years, eight months. Three years, eight months. You're into the long-term follow-up. What's that like? It's very easy. Twice a year. And, and then twice a year, there's also an ultrasound. And once a year, I go in for some like joint scores and things. It's it's very easy. Twice a year is no problem whatsoever. So yeah, at this stage, it's settled down totally. Uh, I've had a very good response. Uh, my experience has been good. I've had no treatment remorse. But I would hope that if I was sitting here talking to you today and I hadn't got a good factor expression, I'd still be able to say I don't have treatment remorse because I thought through the possibilities beforehand. So you would have been ready to go back to factor nine prophylaxis if you, if you had to? Yes. Yes. So gene therapy for hemophilia has been a dream for, for decades. Do you consider it now to be a reality? Well, it is a reality for hemophilia A and hemophilia B because there are licensed gene therapies for both indications. I, I think it, certainly the durability of the hemophilia B gene therapy looks very, very good. Hemophilia A more variable. But I think this is the start. This is the start of a journey. So we have the first two licensed gene therapies, which is very exciting. Uh, but there will be other gene therapies following on from other companies. And we also have gene editing coming down the pipeline. So I think, uh, I think as, as things move on, our expectations will change. If you look at the first really successful hemophilia gene therapy from UCL in London, they were getting factor nine expressions of one to three, three to four percent. And they've been sustained. And we thought that was really good. 
and you know 10 12 years ago 3 to 4% was a very exciting outcome now that would not be seen as an exciting outcome now the the, the mean is like 30 40% so i think expectations have changed and i think that's a good thing so i, I think expectations will change and in the future hopefully we'll have options for gene therapy maybe for those aged 12 or 14 and up and maybe gene editing for the children thank you brian for for doing this podcast and for all your work over many, many decades for hemophilia and the bleeding disorder community thank you david For more information on gene therapy, we invite you to check out other podcasts in this series. For more information, we invite you to check out more episodes in this series. Hemophilia Gene Therapy, Dream or Reality. This podcast series was made possible by an unrestricted educational grant from Pfizer Canada to the Canadian Hemophilia Society. 